Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Today, or this week, we're launching into week two of the faith experiment. I hope that you were able to get a copy or you were able to read along with us for week one. Uh, week two, this week, uh, I, I start, I think it's tomorrow's reading, by telling kind of a generic fictitious story. And I think it sets us up pretty well for what I want us to just process today. And here's how the story would go. Something like this. Imagine a beautiful, sunny um, uh, summer evening. We've just finished having dinner at my house. And uh, as soon as we finish dinner, the kids can hear the, chir- the, the, the birds are chirping outside. Kids are laughing at the nearby park. And so before we know it, our kids have all skedaddled, and they've run outside, and they're gone off playing, and there Lisa and I stare, are staring at a kitchen that's destroyed, you know, after dinner, and everything's a mess, and we can't get the kids back at this point. They didn't do their kitchen chores like they're supposed to, and so we look at one another, and we're like, let's just knock it out, and we get it done, and so then we start working on all the chores. We finish up, and maybe it takes us an hour, and at the end of an hour, we're done cleaning everything up, and the kids all of a sudden start returning back home from wherever they've been around the neighborhood. And they start taking bowls out of the cabinets. And I go, hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, we're going to get ice cream. I said, did you ask if you could have ice cream? And they go, can we have ice cream? I go, no, you can't have ice cream. You just abandoned us here. You didn't do your kitchen chores. Mom and I worked really hard for the last hour to clean this place up. Now you're coming on in and you're going to mess it all up again. And you're just starting to take everything out and you're going to make a mess. I said, no, you cannot just have ice cream. And they start begging and begging and asking and asking. And I go, guys, just stop. I hear you, but I'm not listening to you. And I've made this statement about actually our prayers before. Is that every prayer you pray is heard, but not every prayer you pray is listened to. There, <laughs> there are things that we actually can do in our faith that negate the effectiveness of our faith. Here's what First um, Peter Chapter 3, verse 12 says, says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Meaning he's paying attention to them. His ears are attentive to their prayers. He's listening to them. But, listen to this, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's he's actually against those who are living wickedly, who are doing uh, evil, who are doing what's wrong, who are living in sin. You remember when you were a young kid, maybe you got the, the stare from your parents at some point. It was that stare that you knew, like, oh, I'm in deep trouble. Go ahead and look at the person next to you and just give them the stare. I'll try to do it for everyone at home online right now. That's really a, now I'm just a creeper. Okay, so, um, no, but, you remember it, you would see, you could see your parent from across the room and be like, oh no, this is not going to end well because I just got the stare. And this is like literally, he's going, this is the stare of God that no one wants. It's the face of God that is against you from living wickedly or living in and doing evil. Uh, the truth is, Most of the weeks in the faith experiment, we're going to be looking at things that actually kind of make our faith effective. This week, we're actually going to be looking at what can actually make our faith ineffective. 
and almost nullifies our faith. And I think most of us would want to know if there's something that I'm doing that's nullifying my faith, that's kind of like chopping the knees out from under it, I, I would want to know what that is. And is there anything I can do about it or is there anything I should do about it? And so that's the passage of scripture we're going to dive into answers that question today. The passage that we're diving into is James. It's in James chapter 4. We're going to cover about five verses is all. James is the brother of Jesus. So if you think there's ever, if there's ever someone who kind of knew the inside scoop of how God really works because God in flesh was his brother, it's James, okay? And he's going to talk about, hey, here's some things that I've learned about faith, and I was really close to a guy who modeled faith really well. And so this is how, uh, this is where I want to start. James chapter 4, verse 3. This is what he says. When you ask, you do not receive. If you thought I was making this thing up that uh, God's sometimes not listening, once again, here in James, he's like, listen, there are times that you're asking, and I can tell you, you're not going to get it because of the way you're approaching your prayer requests. Because, and he says, you ask with wrong motives, meaning your motives matter. That you may spend on what you, or, or, what you get on your pleasures. Now, he's writing in a context of a group of people who were actually asking all these things of God. But what they were asking for was a whole lot of things that would uh, either be for earthly wealth or their own earthly pleasures. And he's like, no, your motives are off. They're not even in alignment with what God would want you to be asking for. And as a result of it, you're not even asking in line with the heart of God. And so you ask, but you're not going to receive. And so he's then going to go on to describe how our faith and many actually cultural norms that we embrace are so at odds. So let's just continue on. James chapter 4, verse 4, he says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He starts by uh, using, I would say, some really strong and almost an offensive illustration here. He says, you adulterous people. He's not, this is not how to make friends and influence people right here, right off the bat. You adulterous people. That's like really offensive. But he's calling them out to this level, and he's doing it because he wants them to see, he wants them to understand how big of a deal it is. Really, throughout the New Testament, we actually see our relationship with God um, as illustrated within a marriage. We see it in like Ephesians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church there. And he says, husbands, love your wives. So picture of a marriage. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. So just like this relationship that we have in this thing called marriage, he's like, that's what our relationship with God is actually like as well. That's how much he loves us is in that same type of picture. And then, but then he's going on, he's saying, listen, to love the things of this world, the values of this world is actually like cheating on the relationship. You're not faithful to the relationship. So he uses this really offensive word and illustration of adultery. But then he applies it, this is interesting, to what I think sounds like a very soft word. Friendship. Right? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship? <laughs> Which sounds okay. Like, friendship doesn't sound like a big deal. It sounds right. Like, don't we always want to be friendly, be good friends, and friendship sounds right? But the answer is no, not when it comes to friendship with the sinful ways of this world. Make sense? 
We understand this as clear as day when it comes to like our kids picking their friends. You might look at your child and you tell, or you look at another kid and then you tell your child, listen, you can be friendly with that kid, but you should not have a friendship with that kid. Like we, we understand that because friendliness has to do with this idea of I want to extend kindness, but friendship is an invitation to influence, right? And so if friendship is ultimately invites influence, friendship, uh, we, don't, we ultimately don't want to friendship the invitation of the world to influence our hearts. It's to invite, literally, the, the wants, the values, and the ways of this world to influence our hearts. And he's like, you can't do that. It's in contradiction to his ways and the ways of his world. You got to decide, who am I going to be? Where's my friendship going to be? Is it going to be with God or with the world? Because I can't invite the influence of both. My friendship with the world actually diminishes and attacks my faith. I picture it a little bit like this. I have celiac disease. I've had it probably for most of my life. That just means I need to be on a gluten-free diet. My body doesn't like gluten. Now, I've suspected it for years because my mom is and all of her sisters are and half my family is. And and so uh, for me, I would... Whenever I would eat gluten, I just, I never was like formally diagnosed until more recently, but uh, I would eat gluten and then the way I would know that I got it in my system is I would feel it first in my joints and really in my knees. Like I would feel like an old man. At night, I'd be, I'd be walking around like this. And I'd just be like, guys, take it easy. I had some gluten earlier today. You know, that's how I felt, you know, in my body. And that's what was my dead giveaway that I had gotten it. And here's my problem is early on in my life when I was like, I suspected I was needed to be gluten-free, I would look at things. I'd be like, I'm mostly, mostly gluten-free. The problem is once you get gluten in your system, it takes about four days to get it out of your system. So even if I would only cheat like every handful of days, it like just nullified the whole point. My whole point of trying to be gluten-free, I would just be walking around the whole time just feeling like an old man. And that's just how I felt because I had gluten. And it was one of those deals where I'd be like, I'd be like, well, I'm going to try to be mostly gluten-free. And then I'd see a donut and be like, but not today. You know, that type of thing, because it just looks so good. And I just couldn't say no to it. And, but once I figured out like, oh no, this is like kind of negating all of my efforts. Like that one donut or that one piece of pizza, that one thing just like ruined everything I've been trying for. I really quickly was able to understand, no, I can't like just cheat a little bit because it ruins the whole thing. And this whole deal of like, hey, I want to be like, I want to be a friend of God, but a little bit of a friend of the world, blah, 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 eat my donuts and then feel like an old man and wonder why things aren't working, you know? And that's why, because he's like, you can't have both. You adulterous people, you're cheating, cheating on the relationship. He's like, you can't, you can't be a friend of this world and a friend of God. They're enemies with one another, and one is actually cutting out the effectiveness of the other. When you're a friend of the world and you're embracing the value systems of this world, you are nullifying your faith. You wonder why your faith is ineffective. You're cutting out all of what you're trying to accomplish in your faith by uh, pressing into and buying and living in kind of the things of this world. Okay, then he continues on. James chapter four, verse five. He says, or do you think... Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs, he being God, jealously longs for the Spirit being the Holy Spirit, he has caused to dwell in us. 
That's kind of a confusing statement. Do you think scripture says without reason, he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? What in the world does that mean? I actually love this verse because I think it's such a clear picture of what God just so desperately wants to do in each and every one of our lives. See, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God, have had perfect relationship for all of time. Then God sends his Son to dwell among us, die on the cross for our sins. Jesus makes a statement. He says, it is better that I go. And all of us are like, whoa, that's, that just doesn't sound like a good plan. I think if Jesus were standing right in front of me, it would be really easy to follow him, to be able to go, oh, that's what life looks like. This is what it's modeled to look like. And if I have questions, I can just ask him. He goes, you know, there's a, I got a better plan. It's better that I go because when I go, I'll send an advocate. I will send my spirit who will not just be with you, but will be in you. He goes, that's better than me being with you. It's me, it's my spirit being in in you. Now here's the deal. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit have had this perfect relationship in which they've had perfect free-flowing communication for all of time. And then God places his spirit in Christ followers. And here's what sin does. Sin, I often picture it like this. Sin, it's like it builds a hard, crunchy shell around our heart, which is supposed to be soft to the voice of God. And when we sin and we get our hearts become hardened to the voice of God, we actually block the voice of the Heavenly Father that's trying to speak to the Holy Spirit who is within us, and all of a sudden there's this blocked relationship. And God, he's going, I'm jealous to have the conversation that I've always had with the Spirit that's in you Christ followers that right now is being blocked because of sin. And so he's jealous, he's longing to have this free-flowing, fast conversation where he speaks openly to the spirit that's in us, but sin actually blocks that message. Picture it a little bit like this. Uh, about a, a month ago, um, my FaceTime stopped working specifically with my wife. If you have an Apple product, I can FaceTime you. I just can't FaceTime my wife which is like horrible. It's like she's the one person I want to FaceTime most. You know, she's at the store, she's shopping, she's looking, and she's like, hey, I just need your opinion about something. And so she's always going, what do you think about this? You know, FaceTime. And it just doesn't work the same way when you're on the phone. Hey, what do you think about this? I can see nothing, you know? I have no idea. Go for it if you feel good about it. You know, it's like that type of thing. And so like our FaceTime, and I know some of you are like, have you tried restarting your phone? Just stop. I've done all the stuff, okay? We're very tech savvy. It still doesn't work. I, I just, just don't try to solve my problem later as soon as the service because someone I know is going to be like, I bet I can help him, okay? <laughs> I'll hand you our phones and you just figure it out. Okay, but anyhow, I can't FaceTime her, but here's the deal. She's the person I want to talk to most. But our communication's broken, and, and I can imagine that it's a, maybe a poor illustration, but the heaven, our Heavenly Father, he's like, the person I want to talk to most is in you guys, and I can't get through. The, the communication's broken. It's blocked by this thing called sin. Now, luckily, we're not stuck in this thing called sin, praise God. There is a way out of it, and he's actually going to go into that in the next couple of verses about uh, how in the world do we live 
in a world that, you know, where we will sin. Because I know immediately some of you are like, hold on, aren't we all sinners saved by grace? Aren't we all going to sin at some point? And so does that mean like if I sin, I've just created this hard, crunchy shell around my soft heart that's no longer hears the voice of God and, and my faith is no longer effective because all of us are going to struggle with sin some point in our lives? No, no, no. Listen, yes, we all sin, but there's a big difference, between a huge difference between foolishly or ignorantly stepping into sin and living in sin. Those, those are very different things. Picture it a little bit like this. A couple of years ago, I drove home one day after work, and I looked in right in front of me, my basketball hoop, the backboard was shattered. And my son came out of the house, and I looked at him, and I said, you hung on the hoop, didn't you? <laughs> He's like, yeah. Now, I told him, I was like, listen, you guys, you know, the hoop goes up and down. I was like, you can slam on it, just don't hang on the hoop. If you hang on the hoop, you will eventually shatter the backboard. It will happen. Don't hang on the hoop. And so sure enough, he's like, yeah, I slammed, and then I hung on the hoop, and it shattered. I'm like, yep, that's what happens. Okay, that's one shattered hoop. Here at the church, we had also a basketball hoop right out over here. Um, we don't anymore because we went through more backboards <laughs> than I care to deal with. And uh, what would happen is those backboards would go on up, and it's not that kids would go and hang on the hoop and it would shatter a backboard. It's that we would come to church the next day and there would be a brick-sized hole right in the backboard. It's a brick. went right through it. And then we'd replace it. And then next week, literally the next week, new, new backboard, rock hole right through it. And then replace it, another... Same result, shattered backboard. Very different motives, right? Because even as I talk about that, in the backboards getting shattered here, some of you might be like, you show me those kids and I will go and I will teach them a lesson. You know? <laughs> I mean, you're like, you're fired up. Like, that's not okay. Where it's like, oh, you hung on the hoop too long and you shattered. Motive matters, which is why when James says, hey, when you're asking, you're not receiving because your motive is wrong. Because tripping into sin foolishly or ignorantly walking into sin and living in sin are two very different things, right? See, with those kids, they were purposing to throw the brick through the backboard. My son... He just hung on the hoop too long. He, although his behavior was wrong, he knew he got kind of caught there hanging too long and it shattered. Doesn't mean that it doesn't have real results. The backboard broke. And maybe some of you find yourself in that place in kind of your life where you're like, that's, that's kind of a picture of where I've been. I, I, I knew I was in a place that I really shouldn't have been. I hung out a little too long and it got me. And yes, something truly did shatter and hurt my relationship, but I didn't mean to. I get in head into it, meaning to do so. See, motive really does matter. And, and he's going to, James is going to go into, okay, so let's talk about then how do we get back on track with the Lord so that our faith is effective? Because this journey, if done rightly, it will set our prayers up for being effective, even though we're on this journey when, we, yes, we will fall into sin, hang too long, uh, and have things where literally something does shatter. So now just check out these next verses because he's going to give us some insights on, okay, how our faith can be effective 
and some things that we can set ourselves up to now start winning in this area called sin. James chapter four, verse uh, uh, six through eight. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I just love that. He gives us more grace. See, the reality is, we are gonna fall into sin at times. It's just, I'm so grateful that there's always more grace. I don't care how big you've messed up, there's enough grace. God has grace for you, but there's a posture of our hearts that he's gonna point to here in terms of God opposes the proud, the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. James is gonna to point to at least three things right here that can be a part of kind of the imperfect journey that we're on with Jesus. Yes, we'll sometimes sin, but it will help your faith remain effective, okay? So three things to set you up for effective faith. First one is this, it's humility. Check it out, James 4, 6. He opposes the proud, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. This is about brokenness before God. If you find yourself, hey, I'm full of myself or full of my opinions, I love doing things my own way. I think all of us get there at times. Humility is purposefully laying my plans, my purposes, my opinions down at the feet of Jesus and allowing him to speak into all of it. Week one of the faith experiment took us into this whole journey really of surrender. Uh, and surrender is something that, that really forces us to just kind of lay down our pride and Come humble before the Lord. Humility is that first thing. Second thing that he, that he says, and I would describe it this way, it's purposefully planning to resist sin. James 4, 7, notice what he says. Resist the devil. What does it say? Resist the devil. What's, what's the, the picture there? Resist. Not, not just like, oh, stare at the devil. Acknowledge the devil. Hey, there's the devil. No, it's resist the devil and he will flee from you. To resist is to purposely push back against, right? Unfortunately, most of us don't purposely plan to push back against where the enemy is going to tempt us or where he's going to attack us. We just kind of let the temptation happen, and then, oh, I fell into sin, and oh, it happened. And yet you could kind of see it on the horizon, although it wasn't there yet, you could kind of see it was coming, and you're like, oh, there it happened, and you didn't purposefully plan to resist what was coming your way. And so if I could just challenge all of us to ask, where does temptation commonly come to you, and then what could you do to actually purposely push back or purposely set yourself up to win in that area? Let me just give you an example in my life. It's uh, on my phone. So uh, like you, I have a smartphone probably, and, um, and I've got lots of apps on my phone. And kids are constant, my kids are constantly saying, Dad, get this app or play this game with me or whatever. The problem is with a lot of social media apps, uh, you automatically kind of set up a profile, right? And so you go on in, and for me, like a 45-year-old guy, and I'll be like, okay. And then it automatically builds you a feed. And as a 45-year-old guy, here's what's always in the 45-year-old guy feed. Hunting. Sports, women. That's it. Well, hunting, I'm not a big hunter, but who doesn't like guns, okay? And then uh, sports, like sports, women, I don't want that in my feed at all, period. So here's, a, a third of my feed is always corrupt from day one. And it's like inappropriate stuff that should never, that I never want in front of me. Now, I, I, I do want to say this fairly. I know that you can take the time and you can actually if you give it enough time, build a 
a good feed. Like the algorithms will learn. I don't ever look at that stuff. These are the things I actually like in life and I can actually create a clean feed. My problem is I don't have that type of time. I just don't. I don't have to have the time to give, nor do I want to face that much temptation to get to that point. And so literally, I kind of have a one strike or two strikes, you're out. I don't make it to three. It's kind of like if I get uh, like hit with temptation multiple times, I'm like, you gone. And I just delete that app like right away. And so like, because here's the deal. I shouldn't like look at it and be like, man, I didn't know that was coming my way. No, I saw it. And if I want to resist temptation, that means I'm going to kick the devil in the teeth before he kicks me. Right? And so for me, that's just one area where I'm like, I'm going to purposely push back and resist where I know temptation is going to come my way. And so I don't know where it is in your life, but I'm sure there's some areas where you're like, I know temptation always comes there. So instead of just wandering into it and wandering into sin, be purposeful to set yourself up to resist that temptation and win. Third, uh, purposely pursue God. James 4.8 says, come near to God and I will come near to you. The faith experiment is just a tool that you can utilize to even kind of jumpstart that in your life. It's, we dive into scripture every day. It takes us before the throne of God to just do some business with him and to grow your faith. But it doesn't have to just be through that. It can be through your own personal devotional time. It can be through worship music. But you have to say, I want to purposely pursue God. This thing called a relationship with God is not a one and done deal. It's not like I came to church on Sunday. Check, I'm good for the week. Because that's not that's, that just doesn't work. That's like religion and this, that's not what this is. This is not religion, this is relationship, and just like any relationship, a marriage or friendship would not be good if you said hi once a week. It wouldn't. You have to purposefully dive into the relationship on a daily basis and regularly to foster the relationship and care for the relationship, and the same thing is true with God. Let me remind you of the verse that we started with, though, because it's actually an encouraging verse, 1 Peter 3.12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, His ears are attentive to their prayers. It's actually good. We're going to end by taking communion together. And I love communion because it really is these elements that take us to a moment in time and to something that was accomplished for us and on our behalf over 2,000 years ago. It takes us to the cross And these elements, the bread that represents his body that was broken for us and the cup that represents his blood that was poured out for us, it's in this moment that it's a humbling moment. It's a purifying moment. It's a pursuing moment. It's out of humility and repentance. It's a restoring moment. It's a time when our relationship with God is is invited to be kind of recalibrated. Where have we gotten off? And let's get things righted with the Lord today. I love what um, one of our pastors, Pastor Stewart, he's our VR campus pastor, uh, something he made, uh, a comment he made this week, just kind of in passing. He was talking about his, a time in his life when he was far from God, kind of living rebelliously. And he made this statement. He goes, I remember when I was living far from God. I felt like I was a million miles away from God, like getting back to him would be this long and nearly impossible journey, all to find out that he was right there and I was only one turn away. When he said that, I'm like, 
And it's just so well stated. Because I don't know about you, but maybe you feel like, listen, the way I haven't just stumbled into sin, I've been living in sin. And at this point, you might feel like I'm, I'm a million miles away from God. But can I just encourage you that in all truth, God is actually right there and you're only one turn away. And I love this picture of, of a turn because that is what it looks like for us to come back into right relationship with God. That's what it's all about. Like it, it's this picture of repentance. Repentance literally means to turn around. What many of you maybe grew up maybe practicing was something called confession. Confession is actually to agree with a statement. It's to say, I agree, or this is true. It's a true statement. And so maybe you, you grew up confessing sin, but confessing sin is like, yep, that's sin. I agree it's sin, and I'm still going on my journey of sin. And you wonder why your faith was ineffective. It's because you were confessing but not repenting. And he's going, no, it's, it's actually, confession's important. It's an acknowledgement that's wrong. But repentance is also, I would say, more important as a far, part of the process where I go, I turn now from my sin and I turn into the arms of Jesus. He's a whole lot closer than you think and he's only one turn away. So as we get ready, the worship team's going to come on out, and they're going to lead us in a couple songs. And uh, while they're playing, I just want to encourage you to do some business with the Lord. Now, communion is designed for Christians. If you wouldn't call your, yourself a Christian or a Christ follower, just leave the, the elements just right there in the chair back in front of you. Maybe just reflect on the words, or, or maybe just what you heard today. Maybe you want to set yourself up, do a little business with the Lord, start talking to him about what does this mean for me? If you, or even better, I would say maybe today is the day that you make Jesus the Lord of your life. That you don't just confess and say that's sin, but you repent and you turn into the arms of Jesus. And you recognize that what he did for you at the cross, he did to make a way that you could have a restored relationship with your heavenly father. And then that he would place his Holy Spirit in you and then the Father would be able to speak to the Spirit in you and be with you and guide you throughout all of your life. And so let's just bow our heads right now. And if you've never made that decision, it can be through a simple prayer like this. And then today can be maybe the very first time that you ever take communion with Jesus as the Lord of your life. It can be a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I just admit that I'm a sinner. My sin has broken my relationship with you, a perfect holy God. But you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. Make a way for me to have a right relationship with you. And today, I don't just confess my sin, I repent of my sin. And I turn into the arms of Jesus and I accept the forgiveness that he offers. I ask that you place your spirit in me and that, you're, and that God, you would now speak to the spirit in me and help me to walk in obedience to you. As we just kind of continue praying, maybe the Lord is going to impress some things on your heart about how maybe you need to become purposeful to resist the devil, to push back against the places where temptation comes into your life. Or to be purposeful to pursue him or be broken before him. But God, as we take these elements in just a moment here, I pray, Lord, that you would use this time as we re reflect and remember on what you did for us at the cross um, to recalibrate our lives, 
to righteousness. Because your eyes are on the righteous and your ears are attentive to their prayers. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.